How far would you go in your desire to get to Jesus? How desperate have you ever been for the sake of someone else? I want to share with you all today from Luke chapter 5 and start in verse 17. But when this um, begins, we're going to find Jesus at a place called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is the place where, where he lived when he was, it's kind of like his headquarters. As you know, he was raised in the town of Nazareth. And right at the beginning of his ministry, he went to his hometown. And the response that he got there, because he challenged them, was they tried to kill him. So shortly after that, um, he makes his headquarters in Capernaum on the seashore. And oftentimes he's there in the house of Simon Peter. And this is, again, early, fairly early in his ministry. He's called a few of the disciples, but not all of them yet. And he's already getting a, a very broad reputation for having a healing ministry. So when they find out that Jesus is in town, there's going to be an instant crowd. And what we find is here in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So there's a large crowd of Pharisees and scribes, teachers of the law. And these guys have traveled quite a ways because they want to check him out to find out who this guy is and what's going on, to see if he's authentic or not. And so these are people, they, this is a mixed group. Some are coming because uh, Jesus has been in their towns and they've been some healings and some uh, deliverances from demonic spirits and things like that. Others are there because they're curious. They've heard a reputation. Some are there out of skepticism. Some are there looking for something to accuse or condemn. Others are there to see if he's kosher or not, to see if he lines up with their criteria. Now, in addition, all these people are coming around, particularly people who are sick, people who have needs of various kinds, mental, emotional, physical, and then just people are wanting to hear the word of God. And it says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, <clears throat> these houses back in those days, they were not large. Uh, this was probably Simon Peter's house. He was a businessman, and he would have a house in town, and his fishing business was right there on the sea, Sea of Galilee. And, um, but in countries like this, you can get a lot of people in a small space. They're not, they don't have this parameter of space that we like to have around ourselves. And if you've ever been in a third world country, you know that space means absolutely nothing to them. They're just crammed in there and you don't think you can fit another person in there and they'll get 10 more in. Um, you know, you'll have a, a mini bus and they'll have 35 people in there. Uh, plus a goat or, or a chicken or something. So many years ago, uh, we lived in McAllen, down on, on the border of Mexico. 
and um, would go over to Mexico because we had friends that were ministering there. And I was in Monterrey, and they, um, it was down in the very poor section of town. Down there, if you've been to Monterrey, there's a river that runs through the bottom. It's got a kind of a, a broad floodplain. The river's not that big. But on occasion, they have big floods and people die. Well, so the houses they build are not the best. And uh, we were there in this very narrow little barrio street. And we went into this house, and it was crammed full of people. They were going, we were having a Bible study that night, and they were crammed, crammed full of people. Couldn't believe how many people were in there. There were people outside, had the same thing in, uh, in Rwanda and Burundi and other places that we've been. We get in these very small houses, and people are so desperate, so hungry to know um, that they come, and they, they just press all around. So this is kind of what was going on. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So how far would you go in your desire to get to Jesus? How desperate have you been for the sake of another? So this guy was paralyzed. Um, John and I were in, in Butari in Rwanda one day. And it's a university town. And on the way there, um, somebody needed something, so they pulled off the side. We were on the outer edge of the town, close to the university. And they got out and went into the store, the shops there, to get whatever they needed. I stayed in the car. And I looked up, and I saw a Rwandese ambulance come by. And it was moving fast. And it was four men. And they had this guy on a stretcher up on their shoulders, and they were running. And they were carrying this guy because the hospital wasn't too far away. And they were running with this guy up on their shoulders, Rwandi's hospital ambulance. And the guy was up there on the stretcher, and here they were. They were, it, I mean, they were in sync, and they were not jostling this guy, and they were moving quickly through town. That's kind of what was going on here. These guys, uh, they came and they brought this, their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus because Jesus is a healer, and they're desperate. They're desperate on behalf of their friend. When they get there, there's a crowd. The whole house is full of people. Uh, it's going to be jammed in. And everybody's standing outside. People are near the windows. There's a big crowd of people. And everybody's straining to hear. And you're going to try to get into that group. Good luck. Uh, they're not going to let you in. Well, I've got a sick friend here. Yeah, but my friend's sick here too. But these men were desperate. Desperate people do desperate things. So they looked around, and in those days, they would usually have an outside staircase up to the roof. And because it's hot, uh, the roofs would be flat, and many times uh, the family would go up there and sleep at night or, you know, in the cool because you'd get the breeze up there and all of that because the, the breeze would be coming off of the Sea of Galilee there. So they carry this guy upstairs and set him down uh, and so then they start digging their way through the roof now I don't know if it was Peter's house I'm not sure what he would thought you know somebody's digging a hole in your roof <laughs> but 
By the way, there was an, um, a fairly recent archaeological discovery there at Capernaum, and they found the remains of a house, and they had all these uh, Christian inscriptions in there, and it said that it was the home of Simon Peter. So this may have been the very house that we're talking about. And so Jesus is in there. He's got all these people. Mark says that all these people came together and he preached the word to them. So Jesus is in the midst. He's talking with his people. He's interacting with the crowd because they're all, I mean, it's right there. So it's not like this morning, I got this distance. I mean, it's like this, talking to people, you know, and, but they're all around him, that kind of thing. And so it's like that. And all of a sudden you got this stuff coming out. Out of, the, out of the ceiling, there's dust, there's bits of straw because it's mud and wattle mostly. And they're digging through that, you know, and all this. And you've got the scribes and Pharisees and they are, they are um, clean freaks. You know, you don't get any dirt on you. Everything is washed and clean and now all this stuff is coming. They're trying to get out of the way. There's no place for them to go. This stuff's coming down. It's uh, getting in, in dusty. It's hard to, to breathe. And all of a sudden this guy sticks his head through looking around to see where it's going to, and they start lowering this guy through the roof. And as they come down, they're trying to make room for him. But if you've ever been in a, a really compact group of people, the ones at the front can do whatever they want to. It's not going to affect those people behind them. There's no place to go. Somehow they managed to get this guy down to where he is through the tile. So do you ever get interrupted when you're doing something? Something really, really important. You're trying to do something, you're concentrating, trying to get it done, and then all these interruptions come. Maybe your child comes in and has something and you're trying to get something done and they're pestering you, or there's a phone call, or somebody stops by, or whatever. You're, how do you deal with interruptions when you're trying to get something done important? Well, here's Jesus. <laughs> He's talking to these people. There's people that with needs. There's people trying to seek him. People wanting to know the word of God. People are eager to hear. And we've got an interruption here. Uh, as far as Jesus was concerned, it's the people involved. <laughs> and the people for Jesus were never an interruption. And he took those interruptions as opportunities. And he's going to take this as an opportunity to speak to these people in a way that they had not expected and in a way that was going to challenge everything that they thought and believed about God and about Jesus. And when you start asking those kinds of questions, then it makes you start asking all kinds of questions about yourself and what you believe. Why do you believe it? And how strongly do you believe it? So they let this man down. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, he looked at this man and he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. Well, they say that the, the original word translated forgiveness means that they are sent away or that they are dismissed. 
In Psalm 103, it's a psalm that's familiar to us. It's talking about forgiveness and what happens when God forgives us. In Psalm 103, verse 3, he's talking about blessing the Lord. And he says, he forgives all of your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And then later on in verse 10 through 12, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's a long ways. He dismisses, sends away our sins. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17, he says, You have cast all my sins behind your back. Can't see them anymore, can you? In the book of Micah, chapter 7, Verse 19. He says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. So the bottom line is, when God forgives us, Our sins are gone away. They're not to be troubling us anymore. And later on, he's going to say to this man's son, your sins are forgiven. So he's calling this man's son. That's a a family term, a family name. He's acknowledging this man as a child of God. We don't know how old he was. Um, I wonder about this man. A lot of places um, in the world, if someone is seriously ill, or if they have a long-term illness, what they will do is they'll take him or her out underneath a tree and lay them down. Then everybody else goes about their work, jobs, everything, at the end of the day, they'll come back, collect them, take them home. Next day, same thing. Pick them up, set them in the shade under the tree, everybody goes. Uh, That's just the way you deal with them. And um, oftentimes, people with serious illnesses, there are times when we embarrass them and there are times when there are things which they have no control over that they feel ashamed. So here this man is, I don't know what he was feeling, but all of a sudden his paralysis is in the limelight. The whole village is there, plus a lot of people from out of town. And here this man is made the center of attention. Um, People with physical disabilities do not appreciate that. Uh, People with mental and emotional disabilities do not appreciate that either, being made the center of attention. 
So here he is. Um, and so the thinking of that day, you remember, was that illness was caused by sin. You remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, with a man born blind. And the disciples looked at this guy, and um, they asked Jesus, who sinned? Whose fault? Was it this man? Had he done something wrong before he was born? Was it his parents? Was it his grandparents? Aunt, uncle? Who sinned that this man was born blind? So, was it him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. <laughs> it's not about sin. It's about sickness and illness. So Jesus is going to take this as an opportunity. And Jesus is going to initiate a confrontation. He did that often. Read through the Gospels carefully. Oftentimes, it's Jesus who initiates confrontation. Now, some of us don't like confrontation. You know, it's uncomfortable. And um, it's not a pleasant thing. Jesus is going to make an issue out of this. And he is going to initiate this confrontation. And so again, you have Pharisees, teachers of the law from every village of Galilee, plus Judea, plus Jerusalem, people from all over the country were here. And for this man, his wholeness and restoration of his life was one step away. So Jesus looks at him and he said, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they weren't talking. If you read Mark and Matthew, this is what they were thinking. Uh, they weren't making an issue of it here publicly, but they were thinking in their heart, and, um, you know, immediately the, the alarms are going off in them. That's blasphemy. That, who does this guy think he is? And that's the question he wanted them to ask, isn't it? That's the question he challenges you and me. Who do we think he is? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So the problem that they were confronted with, only God can, can cure illnesses. Now, the medical people take a lot of credit for things which God does. They facilitate it, and we need them. They facilitate it. They don't cause the body to heal. God does that. With, or sometimes without, their help. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is bringing these two things together, two things that only God can do. Jesus is claiming that the power of God is working through him. Now that, I don't, know, I don't know if we can understand what a radical statement in that context this was. 
Um, wasn't too long before at Nazareth when he had initiated a conversation in his hometown that they had tried to kill him. His own people, his own village, people that he grew up with had tried to kill him. Now later on in the Gospel of John, we're going to see that Jesus continues to make these inflammatory statements. He is pushing people um, to get their concept of God out of the box that they've placed him in because God doesn't fit the box. He doesn't fit any box. He's bigger than all the boxes. He made the boxes. He made us. So in John chapter 8, Jesus in in an argument, a discussion, a debate, if you want to call it that, with um, may have been many of these same men. He's telling them that he's the the light of the world and uh, gets into a a discussion about about parentage as it does when things get heated (laughs) in an argument. They start calling his parentage into question. And so Jesus puts it right back upon them. But in the end, they're saying that... uh, They're asking him questions about Abraham. Jesus said, I honor my father, you dishonor me. And he's talking, they said, we have Abraham as our father. Are you greater than he is? And basically Jesus said, yes. Yes, I am. And he makes this statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, Abraham had been dead over a thousand years by this time. Well, well, 2,000 years. Because Abraham's about 2100 B.C. Um, So Abraham had been gone a long, long time. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And he's using the word that God used to identify himself to Moses. That's God's name. Yahweh, Jehovah. Before Abraham was, I am Jehovah, is what he just said. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But he hid himself and went out of the temple. Two chapters later in John, in chapter 10, verse 30, he's going to make an even more radical statement, which is hard to do. He's talking about Knowing his sheep, his sheep hearing his voice and knowing him. I want to read verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he makes this statement. I and the father are one. Now, I don't know how much you know about, uh, about Judaism But one of the things that most people know about is they have this little thing, passage of scripture that they put, usually it's a little brass thing that they put on their door, right? It's it's called the Shema. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel. This is how the verse starts. It's from Deuteronomy. And according to the teachings way back in Deuteronomy in Moses' day, they're supposed to, every time they go out of their house, put your hand up there and you quote that scripture to yourself 
Every time you come into the house, you put your hand up there and you quote the scripture to your house. What does that scripture say? It starts off this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you believe in God, that's me. That's what he just said. And they understood him. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So Jesus is making these radical claims. He's claiming to do and be what only God can do and be. And he's doing that here in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5. So he's telling this man and he's telling them he has the authority and the ability to forgive sins. That would be one of the most powerful things that the world had ever seen. Because forgiveness can break the power of hate. And hate's a pretty strong emotion. Forgiveness can create something out of nothing. Relationship. Forgiveness can bring healing and wholeness. As it's going to do for this man. So what Jesus is telling them basically if I can heal, I can also forgive. And then he makes this statement, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now, Son of Man is another name for Messiah in those days. You could use it in one or two ways. And um, Jesus is using it as a title. He never claimed to be the Messiah outwardly from his own lips, but he always used Son of Man, which was their understanding. This is the anointed one that was to come. Particularly in the intertestamental period between the Old and New Testament, this became a very, very important title for people, Son of Man. And so Jesus is claiming to be God here. And he says, so that you know who I am, and you know I can actually forgive your sins. I'm going to heal this paralyzed man. And he looks at the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven, done away with, gone. Get up and walk. And the guy got up in front of them all. Now you can have all kinds of theological arguments, all kinds of theory, all kinds of ideas, but when the guy is laying there paralyzed, and everybody knows him, and the guy gets up. It's hard to argue with that. Now, remember, they're all crammed in there. He gets up, picks up his bed, and all of a sudden, it's like the parting of the Red Sea. He gets to walk out of there. But, I guarantee you, as he's going out, people are wanting to touch him. They're wanting to touch him. That's what they're, he's going out and they're standing, they're amazed, they're astonished, they've seen a miracle right in front of their eyes and they just want to, they want to touch him. And he got up and walked out. 
immediately. There wasn't, there wasn't, well, you know, maybe you can make an appointment and go see the doctor next week. No, he got up and walked out immediately. Before them, he picked up his, the bed that he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. That is the result of the healing. Glorifying God, amazement seized upon them all. Matthew says they were terrified. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So the result of the healing was that the man was praising God and all the people there that saw it were praising God. And who was the one who healed the man? It was Jesus. So they glorified God. So how far would you go in your desire to get to Jesus? Would you travel to San Antonio? Would you travel to Chicago? Uh, what about another country? How far would you go? What if there was a crowd and you couldn't get close enough? Would you push and shove? Uh, would you climb up on the roof and start tearing the roof apart just to be able to get your friend down to where you believed in your heart that God could help him? How far would you go? How desperate is our hunger and desire for God? If in the process of doing that we were interrupted, what would our response be? I can't stop and talk to you. I've got important people to see. I, I, this is a desperate thing. Get out of my way. God looks at those things differently and he looks at us differently. And uh, I'm grateful that through God's mercy and grace, I don't have to go. I don't have to travel anywhere. Do we? By the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's not a, it's not a matter of time or distance or space. We don't have to dig through any holes in the ground or in the ceiling or tear down walls to get into the presence of the Lord. He's told us that he's here. He's come close to us. And he invites us into his presence. And whatever need we have, we can lay them at his feet, knowing that he is able. If he can forgive my sin, he can do anything. He can do anything. So as we come to communion this morning, I'd like us to think about how the early Christians put this into practice. In Acts chapter 4, this is after the Holy Spirit had come upon them. There was, um, in Acts chapter 3, there was a man and he was lame. And uh, this man had been lame from birth. He had never walked in his life. And he was sitting, like he always did, begging. You'll see this everywhere. In other countries, you're seeing it more and more here. People along the side of the road, people around uh, the temple particularly, and they would be sitting there, and they would have their hands like this, and, and they would look kind of look at you like that. They're asking for alms, somebody to give them something. That's how they lived because they couldn't work, not able to work. 
People would come and deposit them, get them at night. Uh, so the only difference is now they're here by the temple. Peter and John on the way to pray, they stop and heal the man. Is this an interruption or what? They're on the way into the, they're going to pray, man. And here this guy is. Uh, it wasn't an interruption for them. Stop and said, look, I don't have any money. What I have, I'll share. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he reached down his hand, and the guy got up and walked. Now, the book of Acts is very accurate. He's jumping around and everything, but he's hanging on to them. Why? Because he's never walked before. And he's a little unstable on his feet, but he's up and he's, and he's moving and he's kind of jumping around, but he's hanging on to them. And people are, now the crowds are coming. And it's this same group of men who just a few weeks before had crucified Jesus. And so they arrest the disciples and they brought him in. And they had to be careful now because everybody knows who this man is. They see him all the time. They know he's been lame from birth. He's sat there for years and years and years. The guy's 40 years old. 40 years he's been laying, sitting out here. Everybody knows him. And so they have to be careful or they'll start a riot. But they bring him in and they say to James and John, uh, Peter and John, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, this is the same group that crucified Jesus, right? Just a few weeks before. The ones that Peter denied knowing Jesus three times because he was afraid of these men. Now he's a different guy. Same man, different insides. Filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Which, you know, why did they arrest the man for giving a man's life to him? It's a good question. If we're being examined because of a good deed done to a crippled man, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pretty powerful testimony to people that were very opposed to them and everything they stood for. And they were in authority. They had the power. Peter was just one, in the, Peter and John, two individual men. And they stood up and they said, it's the power of, of the name of Jesus. Same guy who healed the paralyzed man in Luke chapter 5, he's still doing the same thing through his disciples. And it's the name of Jesus. And more than that, 
It's the only name that accomplishes that. So that's who we celebrate. That's the God that we serve. So we don't have to be afraid of anything that life can throw at us because we know the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And it's through the name of Jesus. And there aren't anyone else. There are no other names. And so Jesus is the one who, in order to make this um, a reality, the forgiveness of sins, he died on the cross to effect that in our hearts and in our lives. And so he did this by, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body, it is broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, take, drink. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The psalm says there's forgiveness in the blood of Christ. There's healing and wholeness through the blood of Christ. There's salvation and peace through the blood of Christ. And Jesus is saying, this is why I've come. This is why my blood has been shed. It's for you. And he invites us to come and to receive and to participate. And so uh, we have a choice. In the crowd, in the little hut, in the house of Peter, um, which one are you? Are you the people that are desperate with your need, trying to seem? Are you one of those who is wanting to hear the word of God because it, has, it, it answers a, a deep need within your heart? Is you, are you the friend who's desperately trying to get your friend down to Jesus? Are you one of the ones who's just curious, coming to see what's going on? You know, kind of shopping here and there, trying to take your spirituality wherever you can find it. Whatever feels good, whatever seems to try, strike your fancy, you know. Uh, I'll pick that one up and I'll, I'll leave that. I'll go over here. No, I don't like that over there. So I'll go over here. Where are we in the crowd? Are we a skeptic, unbeliever? Have we come to accuse, to criticize, to condemn? Um, are we looking for something that we can say that doesn't sound right to me? And Jesus is there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the response in our heart that changes. So he's with us. He promised he would be. He's the same Lord. And he's the one who invites us to come. So if you're a visitor, you're welcome, as always, uh, to participate. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all members of the crowd seeking after Jesus because we know and understand only he can meet the desires of our heart. And he's the one who has come for us today. So will those serving communion please come forward?